Good morning, church. That's good to hear. Well, um, you're probably wondering as you look at me what happened. And you're probably experiencing what my mom and dad and my brothers thought when they saw me after I'd come to Christ. They said, Don Johnston clothed and in his right mind? And um, the jury's still out on the second one. But um, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get, uh, get through this. Um, I want to thank you, um, first of all, for um, those of you that prayed for the team that went to Lafayette for the um, faith conference on um, biblical counseling. There was 12 of us, and it was a, it was a great time that um, we spent not just listening to speakers, but listening to one another as to what God was doing in our hearts, and not just giving us and equipping us with some good stuff to be able to counsel better, but just how he was working in our own personal hearts. And um, there were tears. It was um, very revealing. And, um, you know, it, it, just, it just set a new, new tone for us as we moved ahead in our, in our Christian life. I want to thank those two uh, of you, two who um, cheerfully gave back to God what was his. Um, to um, fund the trip for us. We were very well taken care of, uh, both by uh, the vans that we rented and took and the people that drove, but also at the conference. I don't think I've been to a better conference um, where you just have everything laid out so that you can concentrate and focus on what you're there for. So we were treated very well. Um, One of the other things um, that um, with uh, Ike and, and Lydia being baptized um, it was fun watching Abe and Arian as that went on. And um, the thing that, that I can identify with Lydia about is uh, the fact that I was the youngest child too, and I ended up sharing bath water, um, you know, with my brother. So and they were always ahead of me. So Lydia, you know, you aren't here right now, but your folks will tell you the sympathy I have for you. <laughs> well, this morning's sermon... Um, It's incredible how God prepares stuff. Um, This is a topic that's been on my heart for quite a while. And um, following up, um, Roger, the last two weeks, um, man, you know, it's still stinging. I'm stinging from the last two sermons that he gave, you know, about reconciling. And that reconciliation is, is the gospel. That's what the gospel is about. And that's who God is. He's a God who reconciles. That's, that's his character. That's his nature. And Roger's sermons were very challenging uh, with um, that whole thing and really left me asking some questions. You know, particularly, uh, you know, is, is the Bible sufficient to equip me to do what I've been called to do? So here's some possible questions we can think about. One is, Am I missing something? Is there something in this whole deal that occurred when God justified me and then he and then equipped me for doing this job? Is there is there something missing? Did he leave something out? And as I look back on my life, one of the things I see is I I believe that. So much so that instead of going to the scriptures, I would go to other stuff to try and figure out how, you know, how am I going to work this out for God? Because I saw my deficiencies, my wife saw them, and it was obvious that uh, you know the ministry that I was involved in and that I was doing was falling way short 
of what um, God had called me to be doing. Another question is, is, have I been left unequipped by God? You know, would he take and make an army and then send them out to the battlefield without weapons? You know, I'm bringing God into question when I ask that one. And so I I've, I've have to dig in and I've got to answer. Would he do that? Well, no, he wouldn't. So what's the issue? Why is it that when we go out, we feel like we're unequipped for the battle that we're in? Third question is, what have I not been given in order to lead the life God calls me to? So here I am, like Adam in the garden. You know, it's like, Adam, where are you? You know, well, we went and hid and stuff. And did you eat of the tree of the garden of uh, knowledge of good and evil? And what was Adam's response? Lord, the woman you gave me. Here's Adam right out of the chute after he's fallen, blaming God for the decision that he made and the failure that he, that he committed in not guarding his wife in that incident. So I find myself, you know, bringing God into question and really asking myself, are the scriptures sufficient to take me and you know, equip me and get me into the battle where I can efficiently not only be reconciled with God and grow in my sanctification, but also then be reconciled in relationships that I, where I've offended people or where people have offended me. Is that really possible? Second Corinthians five seventeen through 21. Just listen to this passage. And it, it explains a little bit about what happened. Um, that, that day when I was justified or when you were justified or when Paul was justified. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? Yeah, new creation. What happened? The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Okay, new stuff has come, hasn't it? But what is it? Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Well, there's one of them. It's not like I can sit there and enjoy the reconciliation he's given me when Christ put his robe of righteousness on me and made me presentable to come into God's presence. It didn't stop there. He gave me and us the word of reconciliation. He gave us that ministry. So namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Okay, well, he's given me the ministry. Now he's given me the word. He's given us the equipment. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's a pretty big job. You know, Anthony Blinken, would you want to be in his shoes? (laughs) We are. We're reaching the world for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So dig in. Understand this justification. Understand what this reconciliation is about and the transformation that it brings into our lives. We are his ambassadors and he's appealing through us. He is imaging forth through us to others this risen Christ who has saved us. He is restoring what occurred in the fall to us, that we be his image bearers. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Let me take a swig here. 
I'm on uh, taking medication. I was sick at the first of the week, so. God had the B team and he was lining us up. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How thoroughly has he saved us? How thoroughly has he equipped us? It looks like from this passage that a lot of those questions that I've asked and probably you've asked over the years, I can look at it and say, it's all there. It's, a, it's, it's the full package. The whole enchilada is there. So maybe what we need is a wake-up call. You know, maybe um, you know, we've, we've gone to sleep. Maybe we've got a brain fog or something going on. Revelations 3, 1 through 3 is a verse that God brought to me um, while we were at Lafayette. And uh, what we were hearing was so overwhelming that um, this verse just jumped out at me. It said, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive. You know, I'm thinking, here I am, you know, ministering for Christ. I'm an elder at Cornerstone Marian Church. Um, people are, you know, coming to me for, you know, counsel on getting married, um, doing these other things. But here's what Jesus said. You're dead. How am I dead, Lord? Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. He's calling me out. He's calling us out. So remember what you've received and heard and keep it and repent. Don't go to sleep. Don't retire. You know, just because you're, you're not, you know, working in a vocational job like you did most all your life now, it's not time to retire from the faith. I've got you. I'm going to take you to the end, to your last breath, and I'm going to use you on every one of them. Is it possible that I might be in a spiritual stupor? Well, what is spiritual stupor? I spelled Miriam wrong, so for those of you that noticed it right away, I'll get that corrected. Uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary says the definition of a stupor is a condition of greatly dulled or completely suspended sense of feeling drifted into a pleasant, dreamy stupor. Now the, now the lady there at the desk, she might be there or she might be here. It's a state of dullness or lack of interest resulting from stress or shock. It's hard to tell which one she's in, but that's the definition of a stupor. And, and we can see that you know, sometimes we may drift off into a pleasant, dreamy stupor. That could come from spending time with the Lord. Or it could also come with some imagination of something outside of Scripture that brings a false sense of peace to us. And then the second definition is, you know, it's a lack of interest. Have I lost my interest in the gospel? Have I lost my interest in God transforming our lives? Serious questions. You know, maybe it's like a brain fog for one reason or another. You heard that, you know, when the COVID thing was around. You know, I've got a brain fog. And, um, and so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody knows what I mean. Um, it could also be, you know, like when you're, you know, when you're getting old and you wake up and you don't know where you are or what day it is. It could be something like that, too. In the Hebrew, the definition of stupor, 
The phrase spirit of stupor alludes to Isaiah 29.10. The word in the quotation for stupor means numbness resulting from a sting. Stupor is a deadness towards God's grace. God rejected Israel corporately as a nation because of this. This does not mean he rejected the nation to Israel forever. Israel did not respond to God's offer of salvation by grace because of their stupor. Their persistent stupor rendered torpor is a state resulting from too much sensation. Or do we live in a time of everything needs to be sensational? You know, you hear things like, cut the drama. Just cut the drama. You know, we, we have to be called amazing. We have to, you know, take words and we have to build ourselves up to something that we're not. Everything has to be sensational. The Super Bowl, everything's got to be over the top from the next one. And the more that we move into this great sensation, what happens? The more we're dulled by the constant rejection of God's grace. It's putting us to sleep. Here it is for Isaiah, from Isaiah 31 through 5. This will take you back to that Hebrew definition, but it also crosses back over into the Greek and we'll get to it. It says, Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan, but not mine, and make an alliance, but not my spirit, in order to add sin to sin, who proceed down to Egypt without consulting me to take refuge in the safety of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Those things that were drawn in, do you remember God's command to Israel when they went in and took the land? Don't marry into that stuff. It'll, it'll take you, it'll pull you away from me. So go in and, and cleanse the land, stay pure and stick with me. They're not doing it. Therefore, the safety of Pharaoh will be your shame. When we connect with these things outside of the gospel pertaining to life and godliness, and we try to pour that in, that becomes our shame. And the shelter in the shadow of Egypt, it becomes your humiliation. You know, on the one hand, we're telling everybody we're Christians, but then on the other hand, we're living like everybody else in the world. There's no difference. And so, say somebody comes into the church and they're hurt and they're, they're in a relationship that's just killing them. And they're looking for help in that. So they come into the church because they hear about reconciliation, how to do this. But what if they start running into people here in the church who aren't reconciled and there's bitterness and then they start gossiping and slandering the other person and that person hears it. Will they be coming back? No, probably not. For their princes are at zone and their ambassadors arrive at Haines. Everyone will be ashamed because of a people who cannot profit them. So we go out, you know, and we buy the snake oil and all these other things, and they really don't help us in the long run. We feel good temporarily, but it doesn't profit us. So we've thrown all this money, all this effort into these things, and where are we at? We're still in our shame. Who are not helped for profit, but for shame and also reproach. That's a stupor. That's how we get there. Definition of stupor in the Greek is Acts 7.51. It's a good verse on that. It calls us 
uh, that stupor, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. So this is a, this is a family issue. This is something been going on. And now the kids, they're repeating it. The Greek carries the idea of cause, a spirit which causes numbness. Is there a numbness, you know, when we face some of the social issues that we're facing and, and when God wants us to, to give witness, do we just, are we numb and we just kind of, you know, back off? I might fall in there. <laughs> I'll just drink water and stay out of a cup. <laughs> so here's a couple of verses, Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here's the Spirit leading us and guiding us and showing us the way, giving us all the encouragement and courage that we need to do it. And what do we do? We, turn, we just turn away from Him. We grieve Him. Or in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, we quench Him. When He's got the fire hot within us, and we know we do it, we need to do it, we dump cold water on it so that out of fear of man, or because I don't have to embarrass myself in a group that if I bring up the name of Jesus, I know I'm going to get laughed at. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 and 34. We're looking at some, at some passages here that will relate. You'll find things in here that, that put us in a stupor. Some of the verses may even give us a little bit of a nudge on, on how we get out of them. But this verse says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Who are you hanging with? You know, not only who are you hanging with, what books are you reading? What movies are you watching? What TV shows are you watching? You know, what in the world are we pouring in here into this new being? This is God's temple. If, if it's beaten up on you, it's beaten up on me too. We need, we need God's mercy. So he says, become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Think about what you do during the week. And then, you know, just kind of picture in your mind, you know, a balance, a scale. And over here is what you know about God and what you're putting into that. And over here is everything you know about the world and what you're putting into that. Just think for a minute where your scale's at. Is it here? Or is it going this way? The knowledge of God is a key in this whole thing. Another passage on the stupor is, but watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and uh, cares of this life. How overwhelmed do we get by the cares of life that we just we forget God? They become so overwhelming to us that it throws us into a panic attack. Or it throws us into such an anger and a rage that we damage a relationship and it breaks our heart and it breaks their heart. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. What day is that? Well, the day of Christ. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth 
but stay away at all, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Are we ready? Are we going to be ready for Christ's return? Or are we going to, are we going to be you know, living in shame? Oh, Jesus, you know, I worked so hard. I did all of this, but the truth is, is I didn't follow you. I didn't stick with it. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Have we equipped ourselves in the, in the depth of the word enough that we're able to discern what is the will of God? Or is that some mysterious thing, you know, that we, um, you know, roll some dice on? Okay, God, well, I got two decisions here and, you know, 7-Eleven. Or do we know how God is leading us and where he's leading us and what he wants us to do and the courage and, the, and all the, that we need to get the job done? One more. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. One of the things that, um, as a dad, um, I knew this verse, and I was everything in the verses before. Um, I was carried away by, um, you know, the cares of the world, whether it was profession, whether it was sports. Um, All those things had entered in. But I knew that somewhere in there that the devil was roaring, but I was able to deceive myself into thinking that he was going to devour my kids. It wasn't until um, I failed in ministry that the question came to my mind, I'm giving myself to everybody else's kids. Are my kids going to hell? Are they being devoured? And by the time I looked, I was late. So again, here's here's possible questions to think about. This is this is heavy stuff, I know, but you know, the encouragement's coming, so hang in there. I am am I missing something? Have I been left unequipped by God? What have I not been given in order to lead the life God calls me to? Well, let's take another look at these questions by looking at 2 Peter 1, 2 through 8. Here we go. Drink this one in. This is, this is going to bring some comfort and some soothing to the wounds. Start off with 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, our, and of Jesus our Lord. Hear it? Where's that peace come from? Where's that grace come from? the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted us, has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Does that sound like we've got everything we need? You know, to live life in a godly manner? Sure does. But it comes through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Is God faithful in that? You know, is he faithful 
in granting those precious and magnificent promises so that we can partake in the divine nature? Think with me a moment about Moses. You know, Moses was, he was, you know, he was a brilliant guy and he was stout. He was a warrior. He was raised um, according to the Egyptian traditions and he still had the heart of being a, a Hebrew. One day he saw, you know, a Hebrew being mistreated and he took it upon himself to go out and kill the guy that was beating the Hebrew up. So he commits murder. And then he overhears some guy talking about him and thinking, oh man, you know, the word's out. I'm in big trouble. I'm out of here. So he heads to the desert and he's out there for 40 years. And then he comes and runs into the burning bush. And what happens there? He encounters God. And what does it produce in him that probably wasn't there before? Fear of God. I mean, this bush just captured him. And he was going to step up and get a closer look at it. But what did God do? He said, whoa, don't you dare touch that thing. It'll kill you. And so then Moses, he he took off his sandals. Man, he knew that he was on holy ground. And he started to worship God. So then God called him, told him what he's going to do. I'm going to take you back to Egypt, you know, to where all these people had... um, you know, where he, you know, I don't know, maybe he was thinking down at the post office, his wanted poster was still up. Or, you know, maybe they had some kind of a unsolved mystery thing and they had a crack team of, you know, guys that were going to go in and, and, you know, figure this cold case out. But he was, you could tell, that, you know, that it is worrying him. But God says, I'm going to take you back there and you're going to be my spokesman and this is what you're going to do. Well, Moses is just, he's beside himself, but he knows that he better listen and take it serious. So each time God tells him what he's going to have him do, Moses tries to tell God, I can't speak. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, this, this, this whole thing, God, this is way too big for me. Do you understand who you've chosen? And God says, okay, Moses. But you know, God wasn't real happy with Moses. And he said, okay. He said, um, you know, what I'll do is I'll bring Aaron in. And, and God didn't change his plan. He already knew this was going to happen. He says, I'll bring Aaron in. He'll be the spokesman. And then you and your brother will go to Pharaoh and you'll start this process of where I'm going to continue to preserve the lineage for the name of Christ to be born in Bethlehem. You know, what? I don't know how, you know, a thousand years more, you know, somewhere in there. So here's God protecting the lineage that he promised back in Genesis 3.15. And he's raising Moses up to do it, a man who is just weak. But you see then through Moses' life, you see the strength and the power of God come into him. And he does exactly what he told Moses he was going to do. And then Moses takes him out and brings him up to the edge of the promised land. So, is God able? Think with me about Joseph. No, <laughs> one's enough for now. But go back and look at the life of Joseph. And then look at the life of David. And then look at the life of all the, you know, the smaller figures in between that God used to preserve this lineage of Christ. Is God able? Verses 5 through 8 say, and in your knowledge, self-control. Let let me go back. Let's start that over here. Um, For by these he is granted, okay, divine nature, escape the lust of the world, okay. And in your knowledge, these are things that we need to be doing. We need to, in our knowledge, we need to bring in self-control. That's a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? 
And in your self-control, perseverance. You've got to hang in there. You know, God says, I'm going to discipline you in Hebrews 12, and you're going to feel like fainting, but don't faint on me. I'm taking you to where you need to go. I'm doing this so you can share in my holiness and experience the peaceful fruits of righteousness. So persevere. And then godliness. Add godliness to our perseverance. And in our godliness, add brotherly kindness. And in our brotherly kindness, add what? Love. I mean, without love, this thing doesn't, there's no grease in the gears. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Where'd that come from? That's the verse I was looking for. I must have done something when I was making that slide up. I've asked your forgiveness. So our conclusions, based in God's undeniable truth, we're fully equipped. You know, look at yourself in the mirror when you leave here and say, I'm fully equipped. And then 2 Corinthians 12 will come to mind. But we have a choice about whether or not we'll really use these, those spiritual tools. So that's our choice. What are we going to do now? We're fully equipped. We've got everything we need. What are we going to do? It's up to us. This requires effort on our part. For those in Christ, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Like salvation, all of this was ours when we came to know God through faith in Christ. As Peter makes clear, knowing God, the source of all life, is the only path to being fully equipped to live as God calls us to do. Here's some verses on it. Be encouraged by this. First Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You know, when, you, when you're out there and you're performing and you hear, you know, the applause or whatever comes your way, does that distract you from this? It does me. I've got to fight. I've got to put up the fight. The next few slides I'm going to read, it, it may be tedious for you to listen, so just, you know, really watch the slides and, and um, we'll get through this. Let me get a drink first. These are um, some uh, writing that Thomas Terence did. Um, he's the president of emeritus of the, the um, C.S. Lewis Institute. He wrote, when we speak of knowing God, it is important to understand that we're not talking about abstract or speculative thought concerning God or mystical experiences, but about coming alive to God through Jesus Christ and surrendering ourselves to him in grateful love. As John says, whoever has the life has life. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life, 1 John 5.12. We must also understand that knowing God is, an, is not an optional part of the Christian life. It is the Christian life. Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, John 17.3. The English word know in this verse is a translation of the Greek word of gnosko, um, that the, the word that comes from that also is Gnosticism, which in this text means an experiential knowing, not simply an intellectual understanding of facts about God, Jesus, or the Bible. 
So, you know, it's not enough for us just to become an apologist. It's not just enough for us, you know, to be able to weave our ways in and out of doctrinal discussions and win arguments. The relationship begins when we come alive to God. You remember that Revelation 3 passage? That is, when by grace we are awakened from the state of spiritual death into which everyone is born and receive the eternal life Jesus offers to those who trust in him for salvation. The first part, recognizing and turning from our sins, is repentance. The second part, trusting in Jesus and his atoning death on the cross to forgive our sins, is faith. Coming alive to God requires both. Jesus described this as being born from above or born of the Holy Spirit. It means birth into God's family and entrance into the kingdom, John 3, 3 through 8. Without rebirth by the Holy Spirit, a person cannot see, perceive, understand, or know God or his kingdom. He goes on here to talk about how when a baby is born, you know, that baby knows that there's parents there, but um, they don't know the parents very well. They're going to get to know, that baby's going to get to know them over time. Same here for us as Christians. Um, we're, you know, we're infants. We're born infants. Even I was 20 when I became a Christian. I was an infant. And then over time, we get to know God better and better. And then at the last sentence there, it says, this kind of mature relationship with God is what every believer is called to pursue. So knowing God, what he says. John 17, 3, we've read that. Listen to this one in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, but let not, and let not the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Second Peter three eighteen through 19 But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Psalm 9:10. And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Proverbs 9:10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and be, he will make straight your paths. And then 1 John five twenty, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we, are in, and we who are in him, who, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So back to our responsibility to reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 through 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The course is laid for us and he is faithful in carrying it out. And he's called us to step in now and in diligence, participate with him in his plan for our lives and to follow him as, as, uh, in the same fashion as he's the potter and we're the clay. So here's the questions again. 
you know, think about it. Am I missing something? Well, not according to this. Have I been left unequipped by God? Not in any way. What have I not been given in order to lead the God life calls me to? Nothing. Now, here's some clues that we're snoozing. One of them is, you know, is if this slide looks to you like it's gray instead of, you know, dark black, you might be in a stupor. I'm glad you got it. James 4, 4, 1 1 through 4. We heard uh, James um, 4 in in the confession of need. And um, we'll we'll take a look at, at, um, you know, the first part of what we didn't see. We have to understand this. We have to understand that the source of quarrels and conflicts among us um, is, is our pleasures. They, they wage war in us. That old nature in us, there's two things about it from Romans uh, 8, verses 7 through 9. One of them is, is that it wants nothing to do with God. So that old nature is fighting tooth and nail just to, you know, to keep us away. And so then there's, there's the, you know, the demonic powers that exist in the world today They want to keep us away from that as well. So the second thing then is, not only does it not only want anything to do with God, it hates God. So we're going to find ourselves, you know, as believers, questioning God. Look at Job. You know, Job's life was one of, he knew he was righteous. He knew God had justified him. But the thing that he didn't know about God was God. He didn't know him to the depth enough at the point of where the trials and all the losses came, he didn't understand who God was enough at that point to really find comfort in him. Although he did say, even though he slays me, I'll trust in him. His faith was firm. So then he has three sorry comforters that come along and just you know beat him up and say, you know, man, just confess your sin and get it over with. You know, just you know, get out from under this stuff. Well, then the fourth guy comes along, and what does he preach to him? He preaches to him what, he, what, what his problem is. Elihu comes and says to Job, Job, you know, your problem isn't, you know, isn't that you're not righteous, because you are. There's no question about it. Your problem is, is that you're questioning God as if you're him. You really don't know who he is, and you need to know that. So then God himself follows it up with Job with asking him 81 questions. And what does that do for Job? Does it beat him down? No, it, it takes and it puts him in right thinking about who he is and who God is. He recognizes that, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't know, you know, where, when, you know, the fawns of the field are born. He doesn't know where, you know, the snow comes from and how all that works. He doesn't know those things. And so God graciously gives him an Isaiah 6 experience, you know, so that he can really see who he is. And his great need for God. So then, you know, um, what Job does next is, you know, it's terrible for self-esteem to say what Job said. But he said, you know, man, you know, I put my hand over my mouth. You know, basically saying, I'm a fool. I have spoken of things that are so great for me, you know, and I'm ignorant of them. And so he starts seeing the reality of who he is. And then God comes around and he brings him back into it. And he says, yeah, Job, but you know, you're righteous and I made you that way. So, you know, the relationship has changed. Job has gone from hearing about God to seeing God. He experiences him in a way where when God tells Job to repent 
and to pray for the, you know, the sorry comforters and tell them to repent. He does it without hesitation. He does it without question. So, you know, those are the things that we wrestle with or the pleasures that wage war within our soul. We, we lust and we don't have. And, and what do we do? We'll go as far as to commit murder to get what we want. We don't care about sacrificing a relationship. That, that's that old nature that is in there. It says you're envious um, and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Here's the name for that kind of behavior. And, and James is talking to the dispersed Jews who are Christians. He says, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So here's a profundity for your enjoyment. I do what I do because I want what I want because I believe what I believe. Okay, where does our behavior come from? What we believe about ourselves. Do we believe correctly about ourselves as God has established us in the scriptures? Or are we thinking we're something different or more than that? If you want to change behavior, we have to know God because it puts us in our proper place. And then as a work of the Holy Spirit in us, because as we gain that knowledge and we get to know it over time, our behavior will change. Here's our conclusions. I'll read them to you, but if you didn't take any notes, write these down. <laughs> this will be a, this is, this is our takeaway. I think it's obvious to us that more than likely, we're the problem. It's not that God is the problem. It's not that God has left us unprepared or given us all that we need. It's, um, you know, I, the onus is on us. So Ephesians 5, 6 through 21 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of these things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as one wise, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Romans thirteen eleven through 14. Do this knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, 
For now salvation is nearer to us than we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Let's pray. Father, you can be pretty tough at times. And you can use your word like it did in Isaiah. And you can put us in front of your holiness and to think that we can bear up under that is our foolishness. We thank you for your mercy that you don't leave us there to perish, but that you enter into us and you have equipped us with everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. You not only justify us, but you take us then from that time that we're justified through the rest of our life to glorification, making us into the image of Christ, a work only you can do. So, Father, we thank you for pointing out to us where we get off track, how we get into a stupor, and how we, we engage in battling these, these spiritual battles uh, with weapons that are just totally inferior and inadequate. Father, thank you that in Second Corinthians 10, you say that we have weaponry that is of divine power. And that's what you give us. That's what you've equipped us with so that we can fight these battles. Father, as we leave here today, I ask that you would just guide us in encouraging one another and not failing to meet together, um, discipling, counseling one another, being vulnerable, being open, seeking to mend fences that have been made, whether it's been against us or we've done them. Father, let us step into the complete power that you have given us and understanding so that this can be done in a way that it just tells the community of Kearney and as we reach out into the world that the scriptures are sufficient. We thank you for all that you've done, for all that you're doing and all that you will do. And we look forward. To coming home. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand please? Well, this was tough, and this is hard, but we need this every day. We're not saved once, we're justified once, but we're saved every day throughout the day. So as we leave here, be an encouragement to one another. Know that, that each of us are under the same, same pressures, the same transforming powers that God has given us. And let us build one another up. Okay? Great. Have a great day. God bless you all.